This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Mysteries, hoaxes, folklore, conspiracy, and pseudo-history. Topics sometimes avoided by historians who don't want to normalize nonsense or draw attention to the blind spots in our knowledge of the past. But these are some of our most intriguing tales. The Lost Colony of Roanoke, The Man in the Iron Mask, The Princes in the Tower, The Battle of Los Angeles, The Turin Shroud. Stories like these, fraught with ambiguities and falsehoods and suggesting alternate views of history, not only entertain, but also teach us to view the past and the present with a critical eye. Join me, Nathaniel Lloyd, as I delve into these stories on my podcast, Historical Blindness, and shine a light in the darker corners of the past. New episodes every other Tuesday, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and most podcast apps. Hey guys, welcome to episode 156 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. And man, it seems like more than 156. Well, I think I said that before. Well, it has been more when you consider all the shorts and yeah, all the true. bonus episodes and all that. But so. we're blessed. Huh? We're blessed okay. that you guys are still listening to us. <laughs> well, some of you. But if you're not listening, you won't know. Oh, so. true. Hey, I hope y'all had a good weekend. We did. We had a pretty good weekend, I guess. We did. We did have a good weekend. Nice, beautiful weather and... That's about it. Fantastic. Okay. So I <laughs> <laughs> want to give a big thank you and a shout out to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. And we had a special request to not forget the canines. Oh, how could we ever do that? So a shout out to the canines as well. Oh my gosh, of course. God bless every each one of you, you little furry buddies, you. We love you. <laughs> they sacrifice a lot. Just think about that. Just think that they have to go bite grab on some smelly criminal and then they got to sniff all that stinky drugs oh that's terrible but man are they smart though <laughs> what they are so smart I you were gonna say, are they lucky for being able to smell all the drugs <laughs> <laughs> no i mean if it's like cocaine or something you know. no no if you had a nitrous tank out there and you're sniffing <laughs> i'd be all about that no, they, man, I don't even know why we haven't recognized them before. That's a, that's shameful. I never even thought about it. I didn't either. Well, I'm going to go out on, on a limb and say most of them do not listen to the show, which is why we well, probably didn't. I do understand it. that, but a lot of those those doggies. I mean, we can't thank everybody who doesn't listen. Shout out to all the Civil War soldiers. Thank you for your service. Uh, why not? <laughs> well, we do need to thank those little furry animals because they save their partners' lives a lot of times. I, I get that. I get man, that. I'm with amen. You. Okay. And we're praying for all of you. 
keep yourself safe. So also, uh, we always like to mention that the Suicide Awareness Hotline is available if you're feeling in a time of need. That phone number is 1-800-273-8255. If you're more of a texter, 741-741. If you live in a country outside of this and you don't know your number and maybe you can't Google it or it doesn't come up or whatever the situation is, we've listed a bunch of other numbers on our group. So as soon as you go there, it's right there as an announcement. And it's a bunch of different phone numbers, including the, uh, the veterans hotline. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that number is 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And they've got a special crisis number set up specifically for them, and that number's on there. Don't make me cry. If you aren't comfortable with either one of those and you just want to be in a good, healthy surrounding, you can send Tracy and I a message at any point in time, and we will get back with you as soon as possible to talk to you if that's what you would like, or just join our group, Hibley Horror Stories group on Facebook, and you've got about 4,000 of the closest friends you'll ever meet in your life that are always willing to listen and give you support. Absolutely. And if you're lucky, you'll get that Zerbert I just did on the microphone all up in your ear when I went like that. What is that called? I don't know. I made it up. A, a Zerbert. Zerberg. Yeah. And when that on the Cosby show or something? I have no idea. So everybody's ears probably all wet. Forehams.com. <laughs> 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 They're actually not even sponsored. I'm just kidding, Anyways, <laughs> Well, I'm going to inform you guys right off the bat, and by that I mean five minutes and 45 seconds in, that <laughs> this is going to be one of those episodes that is a little, well, not a little, a lot more true crime related. And I'm not even, I'm not even happy about this. So if you're not into true crime, if that's something that triggers you, if that's something you just not happy with i can tell you that it does involve murder and it does involve um possible satanic rituals all that's tied in which if you've listened to the show when we do a true crime story is usually some type of a satanic ritual or or something involved that ties it in to where we um, would do it because we don't usually do true crime other than that okay see you later you are not going anywhere first of all but you the listener if you're not into that kind of thing, like I said, or if that might give you triggers, something like that, go ahead and feel free to not listen to this episode. And we don't have any specials or interviews or anything after the fact. So pretty much this will be the whole show. Okay, dokie. All right. So let's jump into this. Like I said, it's going to be more of a true crime story. Here's the deal with this story. Some of you are going to say that this case is fueled by Satan worship. Some are going to say that it's strictly drug related. And some will say maybe it's a combination of the two. Now, there's going to be another group of you that will say that mental health probably played a huge part of this. And I'm in that camp that says that all three played a part in this tragic event. Tonight's story is focused on Ricky Queso, or as he's aptly named himself, the Acid King. Oh. So, man, I struggled where to start with this one. Do I start with the crime or do I start with the people involved? And I decided to go ahead and start with the people and give you a little bit of background on each one. So when we do get to the crime part, it'll 
I guess, kind of, you'll have a better feel for what happened mm-hmm. based on the people involved. So the crime itself took place on June 19th, 1984 in Northport, New York, which is like a little quiet little suburb on Long Island, about an hour and a half from NYC. Mm-hmm. That night, four teenage boys would go into the woods, but only three would come out. The four boys were Ricky Queso, Gary Lowers, James Toriano, and Albert Quinones. These four often hung out together and got wasted on drugs, and it was not unusual for them to go to these same woods, okay? There really isn't much info on Albert Quinones, other than the fact that he was 17 years old, and we're just going to kind of gloss over his past and go on to the others, because it really, not a whole lot on him. Mm-hmm. It's semi the same with James Toriano. Um, there's not a ton out there. He was adopted by his parents at four years old. So he came from an orphanage originally. He said he was 18 when this happened. Um, he was a high school dropout, huge drug addict. He spent several months in jail uh, a couple of different times for like robbery and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And a matter of fact, the day that this crime happened, he had just been released from jail that day. Oh my gosh. You know what that a day. shame. He was adopted and everything and then went to a terrible life. Gary Lowers. He was 17 years old. He also had a very bad drug habit. There's not a lot we're going to talk about him right now, other than the fact that he was a habitual runaway, and that's going to come into play. He would be gone days, sometimes weeks at a time, according to his parents. Wow. So that brings us to Ricky Queso, the Acid King. Now, we're going to get to his nickname in just a bit and how that came to be, but Ricky had quite the reputation around town. He had the stereotypical model suburban family. His dad was a teacher, coached the football team. Ricky had three younger sisters and was definitely the black sheep of the family. Now, his dad said that he was a model child and and an athlete, a good little athlete, until drugs entered the picture. Now, Ricky was already starting to get in trouble for theft and drugs by the time he got to junior high school. He took Lots of drugs, everything from marijuana to hashish, LSD, PCP, and something called purple microdots. This was thought by most of the teens in the area to be mescaline, which is another hallucinogenic drug. And But most people think that what they consider to be mesk, as we'll call it moving forward, was probably just a low-grade LSD. So not only did Ricky take a bunch of drugs, but he was also the area's biggest dealer. That's how he got his money. Yeah. And that's how all the kids knew him. And that's how he was able to coerce kids into doing things that they might not have mm. normally done. So all those behaviors, you can imagine, kind of wore really thin on his dad. Therefore, Ricky was kicked out of the house a lot. This forced him to sleep on the streets, in the woods, in cars, garages, uh, houses of friends. He'd sleep on couches, whatever the deal was. He also started becoming fascinated with with the occult and Satanism. Now, did you say he's 17? Is that how old he is? Yes, he's 17. He had a group of friends that he would buy pot from that called themselves the Knights of the Black Circle, which may or may not have been a satanic cult, depending on who you talk to in the area. Ricky started participating in occult ceremonies, mostly in North Point, where Mm -hmm. he was from. In 1984, he went to the infamous Amityville house and celebrated... Walpurgis Night, which is a German pagan feast night 
when evil spirits are supposedly uh, come to gather all in one place. He also had a huge interest in uh, Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. So he was really just uh, going down that path. I was going to say, he's all in. So the next way that Ricky got in trouble fit right in with the darker way that he was starting to think. He was arrested for digging up graves in an ancient Native American burial ground. What? That is crazy. Some say it was because he wanted to use the bones for his satanic rituals. The reality of it was, though, that he was selling the skulls that he would dig up to other area teens and using the money to buy drugs. That's a sick-ass mind right there. So the night before he had to go to court for this grave incident, he stayed at this little 14-year-old girl's house, a little friend of his. Mm-hmm. She had said that, wanted told that he stayed there. She said that he went home the next morning, but his father wouldn't let him in the house, wouldn't let him take a shower or eat. He takes him to court, and after court, Dad lets him off in front of this little corner store they got there. Ricky asked for a quarter to buy a bagel, because he was hungry. His dad said no, so Ricky kicked the door of his Corvette. Okay, that would have been it. Okay, where's all your drug money? You don't got a damn quarter? You must not be good at selling your drugs, yo. Well, he was good at using that money to buy drugs. (laughs) (laughs) He don't have a quarter for a donut. His dad drove off came back about a half hour later and gave Ricky $2 and told him to never call again and that he didn't want to see him to leave his family alone. Oh, that's hard. Eventually, he moved back home, but he started scaring his parents because of his choice of heavy metal music and his own songs that he had written about Satan. Apparently, he don't listen. Dad said, don't come back. (laughs) Dad's an enabler. (laughs) You're going to find that, that um, during this time, this is back in the in the early 80s, obviously, 84. This is when all the heavy metal bands, mm-hmm. Iron Maiden and Ozzy and ACDC and everybody was getting, you know, um, picked apart in the media because songs like Highway to Hell and, mm-hmm. this, you know, Ozzy's song. Just all, everything was the music. It was the music. Um, this is around the same time that... Um, Ozzy was being sued by a family of a boy who committed suicide because he his song Suicide Solution. So they were saying that that was the reason why he did it. There was ACDC, I think, had a lawsuit at the time over some teens that um, got killed and they were listening to Highway to Hell mm. at the time. It just all this kind of stuff was so this was something that was big that time. So the fact that. He was listening to groups like ACDC and all that stuff, Ozzy. Well, I thought you was going to say he tried to bite the head off a bat and it choked him and that's how he died. No, that's not what happened. It so, didn't? No. He was, oh, let me let me do the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. Sorry, that was bad. He was also very open about his drug use. For example, he would tell his mom that he was going to go down to the corner, get some drugs, and he'd be back before dinner. (laughs) Well, hey. (laughs) One time, he yelled for his mom to come upstairs. He had put ketchup on his wrist. He yelled, look what you made me do. (gasps) He did. And then when she came running up the stairs and realized that it was ketchup, he would laugh at her and mock her. I get a French fry and dip it in that shit. <laughs> what, what are you doing? I don't know. 
I know the horrible part's coming, and I don't want to know it. His parents eventually got tired of his drug use, and they sent him to a rehab center. How bad was it, did you say? I did not. I know, but I, I could tell you was thinking it. Yeah, I was. According to Mark Fisher, Ricky would take 10 hits of mesk in a night. <gasps> oh, my gosh. He would take three. Ten minutes later, three more. Two hours later, four more. He figured out in his own mind how much he could take without ODing. And that's how he got his name, the Acid King. Wow. That's really sad. He would also smoke 10 bags of angel dust, or PCP, <laughs> in the cemetery and chant, Satan, Satan, Satan. I don't even know how he has a brain left. That's awful. So the rehab didn't work because he ran away from the facility. A month after the grave digging incident, Ricky got pneumonia and his parents took him to Long Island Jewish Hospital. While he was in there, his parents tried to take the opportunity to have him committed for psychiatric care. But the evaluation said that he didn't appear to be a violent threat nor psychotic. So they released him as soon as his pneumonia was cleared up. Less than two months later, the four boys would go into the woods that fateful night. So the night of the incident, Ricky had a major problem with Gary Lauer. You see, all four boys were friends, but Gary had made a critical mistake. He stole 10 bags of PCP out of Ricky's jacket while Ricky was passed out at a party a little bit before this. Mm -hmm. Ricky eventually confronted Gary, who gave him five bags back and agreed to repay Ricky $50 for the other five bags. Some reports said that Ricky beat the hell out of Gary three or four different times after this uh, over like the next week or so. On the night of the murder. Oh, did I say murder? I've never said murder before. You did. Here we come to the sad part. On the night of the murder, Ricky invited Gary to go to the Aztecia Woods and get high with him. And he was not going to be the only one. James Troiano and... Quinones was also going to be there. Mm -hmm. They go into the woods like they've done so many different times. This time, though, was going to be different. So they try to start a fire, but the wood was wet, so Ricky was getting frustrated because it wouldn't start. They had already taken several hits of acid and smoked a bunch of PCP by this time. So Ricky demands that Gary take off his clothes and use them to start the fire. So Gary takes his socks off and throws them in. Then, Ricky said, you need to take your denim jacket off and throw that in. Well, he didn't want to throw the denim jacket in, so he says, how about I just cut the sleeves off mm -hmm. and use that? So, that's what they did. The story starts to get a little sketchy from there. By most accounts, this is what happened. And we'll talk about the sketchiness later when we get to the trial. Gary and Ricky, somehow, during the course of, of starting this fire, they start fighting. During this fight, Ricky bit Gary on the neck. He then pulled a knife out and stabbed Gary in the back. He demanded that he say he loved Satan. Instead, Gary did not say that, and he yelled out, I love my mom. Aww. Well, Gary somehow got away, took off running, and Jimmy Triano ran him down and pulled him back to the fire. What the crap? Now, during this time, 
there were three crows flying around. And Ricky said that this was proof that Satan was here. Ricky repeatedly stabbed Gary in the face between 17 and 36 times while Jimmy Troiano held him down. He stabbed him so much so that his eyes were completely gone and his face was unrecognizable. Ricky said he heard a crow call during the attack, which told him that Satan approved. After the murder, Troiano and Ricky covered the body with some small branches and some leaves. At this point, the three boys walked out of the woods and apparently no remorse at all from Ricky, according to the other two boys. Ricky apparently, though, was pretty proud of his deed because over the next week, he brought approximately 12 kids from school, one by one, over to the woods to show them the body that laid there decomposing, full of maggots, worms, and basically becoming a skeleton rapidly because this is in the middle of summer. I mean, didn't he think somebody was going to go back and say something? Or, I mean, Jesus. Apparently not. But to show you how bored and eager for excitement these teens in the, in the suburb was, even after seeing this dead body, none of them said a word about it to anybody. Unbelievable. Maybe it was because they were scared that Ricky might do the same thing to them. Mm-hmm. Who knows? After a week or so, apparently Ricky got bored with this, and him and, and Jimmy Triano went over, moved the body to put it in a shallow grave. So they dug this grave, and Jimmy Triano says as they went to kind of kick it in, the head fell off. Wow. That's how decomposed it already was and how much damage had been done to the body. At this point, Ricky Queso and Jimmy Triano decided that they needed a little more excitement in life, and they decided to drive to California. They would stop and sell drugs along the way to pay for, you know, the trip, so to speak. They left on foot and started hitchhiking. The next day, a young lady made an anonymous phone call to the Northport Police Department. She said that she knew where the body of Gary Lowers was buried. She also knew who killed him. The first problem that the police ran into was they didn't even know Gary Lowers was even missing. The parents didn't call about him or nothing? Well, if you remember, we had talked earlier that he was a habitual runaway and it was not uncommon for him Mm. to be gone weeks at a time. Well, the police automatically assumed this was a prank because they asked her the name and she abruptly hung up. Meanwhile, the boys had made it about 160 miles, and they decided to stop and raise some money. They sold some mask and pretty quickly um, used that money to buy kind of a junk car mm-hmm. for 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. So now they got a car. Police eventually verified this phone call, though, and they started searching the woods for um, this, this body, and they brought in some cadaver dogs. Now, this was on July 4th, 1984. This is a very big area. And so they needed to have as many dogs as possible. So they used four dogs and they sent two at a time and one of them found something. 
It was a blood-soaked scalp. Mm. Ricky and James had no idea what was happening, but they decided that they wanted to come home and party with their friends on the 4th of July. So they scrapped the whole California idea, and they decided to come on back home. Now, this is already at the time that the police have found the body, and now they're looking for Jimmy mm-hmm. and Ricky. They just have no clue what they're oh. in for. They go downtown Northport, and they party with their friends. Uh, they got extremely high, as they usually did, of course. And when they were done, they went back to their car to get some sleep. Early the next morning, somebody reported an unusual car parked out where it shouldn't have been. There was one officer who responded. Mm-hmm. He gets there, he goes to the car, he looks in, and he sees both of the boys are asleep. Now he knows, he knows who they are. Though, he knows right? who they are. And he knows that, yeah, everybody around there knew who they were <laughs> because it was a small town. Mm-hmm. This place only got like 8,000 people. So he goes to the car. So he, he's like, okay, that's them, but they're asleep. He knows what they're capable of, what they've already done. And if they're messed up on drugs, especially PCP, this PCP will give you the strength of like 10 men. He, did. he went back and got dispatched. 18 officers showed up. So they opened the door and the two boys were sound asleep. Jimmy was groggy, still basically high from the night before, according to him. He was a little confused, but he, you know, was like, I get it. They're here, but I didn't, I didn't even know anybody had a clue that Mm -hmm. we were done anything or were on to us. Yeah. So he was more confused about that part than the fact that the police were there. Now, Ricky was kind of the same way, but. He quickly became alert and became his normal cocky self, according to uh, the chief of police that time. So Ricky told police that he didn't know anything about Gary Lauer and hadn't seen him in quite some time. The boys were taken to the police station to give their uh, statements on what Mm -hmm. had happened. So at this point, the news crew were already there, and Ricky was photographed in an ACDC t-shirt. Long sleeve T-shirt, and if you uh, do any kind of googling of Ricky, that's probably what you're going to find is him in that ACDC no T-shirt. Kidding. This was obviously the focal point of the media that jumped all over the whole music fuels this kind of behavior bandwagon. Several musicians were contacted and asked for comments regarding this story, and. Several of them made just public statements. Ozzy Osbourne had my favorite comment. He said, yeah, he said, he said, we're really evil. He said, we went to see the exorcist and the rest of the day, all of us had to stay in the same room together. We were so scared. That's how black magic we were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at the station, Ricky did eventually give a confession. Police said that he was almost proud about it. He bragged about it. Police said that Ricky told them about hearing the crow call during the murder and that he thought that Satan was there and was proud of them. Police said that this was very scary to them. Now, Jimmy was also arrested, but all the focus was pretty much on Ricky, mainly because of his satanic uh, confession that he had given. That night, the Suffolk County Police Department issued a press release that said that Ricky Queso was a member of a satanic cult and worshipped and practiced in rituals honoring the devil. It also said that Ricky cut out Gary's eyes and the devil ordered him to kill Gary. 
Now all the media could talk about was the satanic uh, aspect of the murder, and it became a worldwide story. Now Gary's father came out at one point, and he said that his son was scared of Ricky, and he wasn't involved in any drugs or Satanism. And I'm sorry, but this just was not the case. Yeah. It just wasn't. Everyone in town knew that Gary was a huge drug addict, and he might have been scared of Ricky, but that was probably because we talked about earlier, once he stole drugs from Ricky, Mm -hmm. and Ricky beat the crap out of him three or four times, Mm -hmm. that probably is when he was scared. But before that, he wasn't scared. They hung out all the time. All the time, yeah. You know. So back to the confession. Ricky told Jimmy that he had given a confession, but he didn't implicate Jimmy at all. Well, Jimmy's the one that drug his ass back there. If he hadn't drug him back there and let him go, he probably wouldn't be dead. Well, this was a lie to begin with as far as the uh, not implicating him. Because Ricky said that Jimmy chased Gary down, brought him back, and held him down. So even though Ricky told Jimmy, hey, I didn't implicate you, in Mm -hmm. his statement, he actually didn't implicate him. So now you might be asking, well, what about the third boy in the woods, Albert Quinones? Mm -hmm. What'd he been? Yeah, exactly. Well, he's going to play an intricate part in the trial. He was arrested, and he agreed to implicate the other two boys in exchange for immunity. Mm. He would be the prosecution's key witness. So before that could happen, though, a major event would take place that would pretty much change the whole aspect of this trial. July 7th, less than 48 hours after his arrest, Ricky Queso hanged himself in his cell using a bed sheet. Good. Ricky once told his mom that being dead would be the ultimate high. And I guess he found out. Mm-hmm. With Ricky now dead, it also meant that his confession could not be used in the trial against Jimmy. Please don't tell me Jimmy got off. Scott Free. What, what he does in prison is not my business. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> So even though Jimmy Troiano was implicated by Ricky, it wouldn't matter. I don't, I don't understand that. He, te- he said it before he killed himself. I know, but you can't cross-examine him. You can't put him up there and say, did you say this? The, the defense can't cross-examine him. So, that, is, that sucks. We're not going to touch on much of the actual court case, but other than the strategy in which it was going to be tried. You see, Jimmy gave four different stories of what happened. All four were different, but very believable. When his attorney asked why the stories kept changing, Jimmy said, it's hard to remember exactly what happened when the trees are melting all around you. Oh, nice. In some of Jimmy's stories, he participates in the murder, and in others, he didn't. It was then that his attorney knew that the angle he was going to use in this case. Keep in mind, these boys were using hallucinogens that night. So he got an expert to come in on hallucinogenics, and he testified that there is no way that the boys could truly remember the events of the night with any real accuracy with the amount of drugs that they had done, especially with the type of drugs. Now, I said boys because this also applied to Albert Quinones, who was the main witness for the prosecution. So Albert had said in his initial story that Jimmy chased down Gary when he got away. He brought him back to the fire and held him down while Ricky repeatedly stabbed his face. Now, the wounds that were on Gary's body did match up to that story. 
they did seem to be wounds that were caused as someone was being held down. The problem is those could also be because the victim was unconscious at the time. So the wounds, if you were unconscious and being stabbed, you wouldn't. What they're going by most of the time is defense wounds. They're looking for wounds on the hands and stuff where you were trying to protect yourself. Right. And if you can't, if you can't, if you're not trying to protect yourself, then somebody was either holding you or you were already unconscious. If you're unconscious, you're not throwing your hands up there either. So there was no proof that he was actually held down because it's possible that he could have already been unconscious during this. That's jacked up. I think even if you were unconscious, when you have a nail or a knife impelling your face 17 or 18 times, you're going to come out of that. He could have died on the first one. Oh, God, this is an awful story. So much to the defense's point, Albert Canonas then changed his confession and said that he didn't think that Jimmy Toronto had anything to do with the, the murder. He didn't grab him. He didn't hold him. He don't remember any of that. He thinks it was just wrong. This only proved the defense's point about the amount of drugs that the boys were taking and the hallucinogens making their testimonies and their memory completely invalid. On April 25th, 1985, after seven hours of deliberation, James Toriano was found not guilty for the death of Gary Lauer. Hmm. So we go back to the question that I posed earlier in the show. Was this a murder because of Satanism, drugs, or a case of some mental instability? Or are you like me and think that it was maybe a combination of all three things going in at once? After it was all said and done, police said that there was some misinformation out there. There was no satanic cult. Just a bunch of bored kids on drugs that got out of hand. The police never felt like Ricky was any more than just a drugged out punk who used Satan as an excuse for his very bad choices and bad behavior. And that's the story. That's a terrible, terrible story. Don't do drugs, kids. Just don't. Absolutely not. Just don't do it. That's a horrible story. Poor Gary. Yeah, but, and obviously Gary was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, he sure was, and he was right in there with him. I get it, but. You know, so that's, once again, you put yourself in those situations and those things can happen. I know. Oh, God, that's horrific. Like, I can, like, picture his face right now. It's just, ugh. Uh, Now let's move on to something positive. Can we please? I want to, uh, real quick, just because it's really getting close, but the Kansas trip is coming up. Remember, if you go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, you can buy tickets to all the other Kansas stuff that's going on. They've got haunted trolley rides. They've got cemetery tours. They've got tours of the Sally House. And there still may be a few tickets left for the Sally House investigation, mm-hmm. if you're so apt. So do that. And this is big news. We had to change, and this is important, we had to change the location of the Point Pleasant show because the um, Caitlin's Lighthouse that we were going to have the show, unfortunately, had to close down. That seems to be a common occurrence (laughs) when we book these things. (laughs) But these things always tend to work out for the best. They sure do. So what we ended up getting was the American Legion host. So it's kind of cool because we get to do this. This is a beautiful room. We went down there personally and looked at it. 
it, it is a huge area, completely redone, and it's in a haunted American Legion post. Nice. So we get to help out our military and veterans, and we get to um, basically be in a haunted place. Well, it might be really with. haunted now since they redone everything and disturbed all the that's true too dead and she told me they hadn't even had an event there yet since they redid it oh. and oh and top of this part of the reason why it's haunted is we were told obviously being in a an american legion there's been a lot of veterans over the mm-hmm. years there that have become really attached to the place it yeah. was like their place to hang out all their friends were there and as they pass on they kind of want to stay there yeah so that's part of it and on top of that it is built right over top of where the Revolutionary War, part of the Revolutionary War, was was fought. And there's all kinds of um, Native Americans and soldiers that were killed in the 1700s, buried just literally a couple hundred feet away That's, in the wow. park right there. Ooh, it might be more than I can handle. So it's going to be cool. But it's us, Ohio. History goes bump. It's going to be fun. And we were able to do something. This is something I want to give all three shows credit for because this place was pretty huge. We were able to donate 60 tickets to the veterans that are members of that American Legion post for them to be able to come for free. Good. That's amazing. So we were were very happy to be able to do that. Uh, Exactly. Tracy, would you like to tell us our iTunes and Patreons? I would love to. On our iTunes, we had Blue-Eyed26. Kristen from Iceland, Superdur 66, Ice Ice Katie, <laughs> versus Biaz, Inked Princess 88, Felicia Felice, Gonzo 284, P Walker 1021, June Bug 1980, Jason B, and Up Yonder a Bit. And Calio Palio, Calio Palio, two one four. I hope I didn't mess that up. I'm sure you probably did. I'm sure I did. Regardless, I want to touch on something real quick, and this is not a negative. One of our reviews, it's a very nice review, mm-hmm. mentioned something that is a valid point, and it's not a negative at all by any means, but it gives us a chance to actually explain something, and and because I'm sure you're not the only person that's got this this thought. the The review had something about. They didn't like one of the segments that we added. It was the Amanda's Take segment, which is okay. But overall, I think most people have expressed that they really like it. But the question was, I'm not really big on that segment. I would rather y'all do something where you tell more stories. Totally get that. Totally get that. Here's the problem, though. And this is what a lot of people, but a little behind the scenes uh, case, so people realize. Our main show, the show we did tonight. There's about 20 hours that went into that. That's research, writing the story, us actually telling the story. And it only took about 25, 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. So a 27 to 30 minute story basically takes us about 20 hours to do. As much as we would love to add another story on, we can only do one story a week based on that. Because the other things we've got... Realize we've got on the Patreon side, this is the free show. So, and if you're not a Patreon subscriber, this is, this is all you really see mm-hmm. is this show. But on the Patreon side, for the people who pay for extra, extra, um, coverage that we do and stories, 
We do six short stories a week, which are about eight to 13 minutes a piece. Now, they don't take as long, but they do take a while to do. We got to sit and record all that. There's six of those a week. Every other week, we have to do a full-length bonus show. One of those takes 20 hours to do. The other one is more listener stories, but we have to come home every night and have people call in and tell us their story. We schedule those things. That show takes about 10, 12 hours to put together. So, you know, when we do a segment like Amanda's Take, that literally is me reading a story with Amanda on the phone for 20 minutes and about 10 minutes of extra. It takes us about 30 minutes to put together that 15, 20-minute segment. Where if it was us doing a story, it would take literally probably 15 hours. And we just don't have the time to be able to do that. I wish we did. But with us both working full time and all the Patreon stuff, that's why we don't do that. So if, if anybody's got that curiosity on, well, why would you put in that segment or an interview? Keep in mind, anything past this original story that we do in the beginning is bonus. Yeah, like tonight, we don't have anything else. Mm-hmm. And this is where it stops. We don't have another segment. Now, if we had an Amanda segment or another interview or another podcaster, we would just put that on the end and you just get extra. But keep in mind, all that stuff is just bonus. If uh, if we didn't have an interview with Amanda or an interview with another podcast, we would, the show would end 30 minutes sooner or whatever. So just keep that in mind that we wish we could, but the time's just not there. And, you know, I know some of you don't like interviews. Some of you don't like this and that, but even if we didn't have that on there, we wouldn't be doing another story just because we don't have the time. So we love you though. We just, yeah, absolutely. We, we just want to point that out because I know other people probably had the same mm-hmm. thoughts. So, yeah, I'm old. I get tired early. <laughs> That's the honest truth. <laughs> yeah, we we spend, when you include the shorts and the bonus and the regular episodes and interviews, we, I promise you this, we spend about 35 to 37 hours every week on the podcast. Mm-hmm. 35, you're only hearing 40 minutes of it. We spend a full-time job on it. Yeah. On top of work. And like I said, I work 70 hours a week. Yeah. Tracy oh. works 20 or so. <laughs> yeah, she works she works she works regular but compared to the amount of hours oh, yeah. I work it don't seem like we it. We love it though. But like yeah. you said, we wish we could do more and yeah, maybe I, it'll come to that. I literally but. get home every night at eight o'clock and work on the show for about three or four hours mm-hmm. every night. Yep. So that's that's what we do. But we love you guys and you're hundred percent worth it and Oh absolutely. Don't forget we got um tickets available now for the New York show. The Philadelphia show, both of those with Twisted Philly. Uh, what else we got going on? Oh, oh, I need to I need to mention this. We are going to be at CryptidCon, which is September 7th and 8th, a Saturday and Sunday, in Lexington, Kentucky. Go to CryptidCon.com and check out everybody else who's going to be there. Nick Groff is going to be there. The guys from um, uh, Mountain Monsters are going to be there. Seth Breedlove, who's awesome. Uh, I used his... One of his documentaries, he does all these from Small Town Monsters, but one of the documentaries was The Beast of White Hall. I used that for research on our show, so I'm excited about him. A lot of you love the uh, Missing 411 that we did. The guy who wrote those books and did the series, David Pilates, is also going to be there. Wow. So there's, it's not just the, um, you know, you know, Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us is going to be there. So pretty awesome. Okay. All right. But I don't want to forget our Patreons. Go ahead. Um, we have Eric, Tiffany, Donahue, Daniel, Holcomb, and Josh Myers. Thank you guys so much for your support. 
Thank you guys so much for your awesome reviews, which means more to us than anything. Thank you guys so much for everything you do, and we will see you next week. Thank you, guys. Have a blessed week. We love you. Hey, this is Tony Bruschi from the podcast Real Ghost Stories Online and the Grave Talks. Cannot wait for August 24th to be with Hillbilly Horror Stories for their birthday live show at Columbia Steakhouse in Lexington, Kentucky. Tickets are only $15. You can get them through hillbillyhorrorstories.com. It's going to be a fun night as we hang out, do an episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories Live, talk ghosts, talk the undead. Maybe we'll even witness the ghost of a cow. It's a steakhouse after all. You hear those mysterious moves? You got to wonder... Are they back with blue cheese and mushrooms and onions on top? Delicious ghosts. Anyway, we'll see you there. Saturday night, August 24th, Columbia Steakhouse, Lexington, Kentucky. Real Ghost Stories Online, The Grave Talks, and Hillbilly Horror Stories for their birthday show. Get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com.